Hello, horror fam, best friends, and ghoulish knights, and welcome to the seventh episode of Murders with Mertens. I am your host, Joe, and this is a podcast about horror, home invasion horror, sci-fi horror, body horror, the horror-adjacent thrillers, the supernatural, the psychologically terrifying, scary films in general. Each episode, I intend to sit down with a guest and discuss one of their favorite scary films so that we can gush about everything that makes it just so damned cool. Viewers, new and old, thank you for tuning in to this fledgling podcast. You can always provide some much-needed support of this little endeavor by subscribing to the channel, liking the video, and dropping a comment below to keep the conversation going. It's all greatly appreciated. So let's not waste any time in introducing this evening's guest, Demetrius Newell. Dim, how the hell are you? You're doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on this lovely horror podcast. Can't <laughs> wait to talk about what we're going to talk about. Yeah, man. Uh, for those that don't know, who are you? Uh, I'm Demetrius Newell, also known as Gifted Dim 63. You could catch me in kind of funny uh, chats back in the day, not so much lately. But um, I'm really big on doing like fitness videos and stuff for TikTok now, and um, you know that's that's really who I am now. And I'm a, a huge gamer, as we all know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've gotten to know you over the years just uh, through the kind of funny community and a lot more in the past uh, year or so through the horror community. Uh, we definitely have a mutual love there. Um, so uh, without wasting too much more time, uh, tonight's film is the 2008 psychological horror slash home invasion horror film, uh, The Strangers, written and directed by Brian Bertino and starring Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman. Uh, Bertino would go on uh, to direct one of my favorite horror films of the past couple of years, and I'm sure it's one of yours as well, The Dark and the Wicked. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that's a film. That <laughs> it's different from this one. It is. It is. And I know we've talked about just how unsettling that one is. Uh, but we're not yeah. here to talk about that. We're here to talk about The Strangers. Dem, what's your history with this film? So I actually saw this movie um, at my first duty station when I was active duty Air Force. Um, it came out and they played it at the base theater. So I actually watched this on base at the little base theater. When you go to a base theater, you know, it's it's nothing too crazy, basically. You just got the regular seating like a regular theater would, but it's got like a stage and a small screen. It's not like going to the actual big screen movie theaters, but it did the job and it was usually a little bit cheaper. So I got to see this movie a couple times um, because I loved it right away. And uh, it was, I always remember, I'll always remember where I was when I was, when I watched it. Nice. Nice. Uh, I know this was one where my ex-wife and I were going through quite a horror binge. Uh, it was the uh, disc version of Blockbuster's Netflix ripoff back in the day. Um, so this would have been shortly after it was on DVD, I'm sure. Um, and yeah, thought this was a pretty dope movie. Um, I know she probably wanted to see it because she was obsessed with Felicity. So, you know, Scott Speedman, the Felicity connection there. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was a cool film. And it's one that I didn't really think about in the past few years until I saw it starting to pop up on podcasts and, you know, that uh, kind of reignited a, a, a love for this film for sure. Um, so uh, why don't we just jump right in? Uh what you're about to see is inspired by true events. According to the FBI, there are an estimated 1.4 million violent crimes in America every year. Chief among them is the fact that Larry Fishburne only does the opening voiceover in this film. And maybe it's not him, but if it isn't, it sure sounds like Lawrence Fishburne. Um, sure does. Yeah. Um, I, I was not able to find anything one way or another, except for a couple of uh, Reddit threads. And he's certainly not credited. Uh, nothing on IMDb. But I don't know. It sure as shit sounds like him. Yeah, I, don't I mean, I don't, I don't know who does the voice. I don't know. Um, but right around this time, I'm trying to think what he was up to. Uh, I, I could go on IMDb, but I'm not going to bother. Um, but it, a few years after all of this, he started showing up like crazy and all sorts of stuff, and usually in roles like he's the authority figure in the movie or, um, you know, the superior of the main character or something like that. And he had this great little Renaissance. It's, um, 
always good to see him pop up and stuff. So if it's not him, yeah, absolutely. Um, If it's not him, shout out to whoever it was that did the voiceover. You're not in the credits, so boo. Um, So we start things off with some kiddos that, uh, well, they're seeing some shit. Um, They make this horrific 911 call. Thank God one of them has a cell phone on him. Um, And then we cut to this really uncomfortable car ride. And, you know, we've all been there. You know, you either have a horrible argument with a significant other or something like that. And it is the most uncomfortable space and you can't wait to get out of that car. But, uh, yeah, um, I, I love all the little, I guess, environmental storytelling that we get in the beginning of this. You know, I think um, it's. Right from the jump, like right when you start seeing the text and you hear the voice, you kind of get this feeling that you know that it's going to go straight to the point. Like there's no that with the short runtime, I think it's only like an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 32 minutes, something like that. Yeah. So they they, it's so concise and they make sure that they go right to the point. You see the kids outside, you know, something happens. They show the camera panning around. You see blood spots on the walls. So you know, like, you're already uncomfortable because now you know that kids have found something. Mm-hmm. And then they cut to the night where you see the two driving in the car and you're like, okay, well, now they're coming home to something or coming to a place that the guy had. And <laughs> they know that you already know that they're going to be uncomfortable because they... um <laughs> they're arguing they had an argument or something like that the the it's like a you can feel the tension in the car ride mm-hmm. absolutely and it, little by little everything kind of unfolds as far as what went down but uh i i i, got, I love stuff that just doesn't treat you as being an absolute idiot they're not going to spell out everything that happened you know and yeah yeah, that kind of stuff sucks me in. Um, so they they get to the house, and I don't think it's ever clearly stated that it's uh, you know Scott's parents' house there, uh, but you know they they have the little moment where you know he gets out of the car, grabs some mail, and she's uh, smoking a cigarette, and then doesn't come into the house at first. And again, clearly some shit went down, uh, but she steps in, and now we get. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, creepy folk sound number one, uh, that damned record player. And it keeps coming back throughout the length of this movie. But um, obviously plans for a romantic weekend have uh, fallen through. There's rose petals everywhere, champagne, all the shit. And, you know, they, they look like they just came from a funer- funeral. Um, and they head off to one of the bedrooms. She's going to take a bath. And, you know, he... He even goes so far as to unzip her dress for her and help her with her necklace. So clearly there's some love there still. There's just something kind of horrible that's happened. Um, and just anger hasn't had a chance to set in. And we'll find out why that would possibly be justified at some point uh, a little bit later. Um, it's just it's so uncomfortable just watching all yeah. of this. I think it's it, you can you can see it more in his face that it was obviously something that he was planning. He wanted something to happen out of this night and she 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 almost looks like vulnerable like something happened that was her fault and he's angry about it. But now the night's ruined in both of their eyes and um it's yeah, that tension is just incredibly built. <laughs> like, and that it's only a span of what, like five, ten minutes. Oh, I know this. This we're, we're definitely not even ten minutes into this movie at this point, and yeah, um, you, you just—it's like you want to see what's about to happen, but also you kind of just don't want to be there for it. Um, so she's taking her bath, and you know, Scotty calls up Mike. Um, for some reason, I keep using the actors' names in my notes just because it's how I think of most of these people. But uh, got Glenn Howerton, uh, ultimately, who shows up later uh, from Always Sunny um, as his buddy Mike. And he you know, says right there in the voicemail, yeah, you're probably drunk, but uh, I'm going to need a pickup in the morning because things have gone sideways. And um, 
he just kind of rambles on for a little bit. And, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's probably his ride or die. Right. But, um, yeah, yeah. Eh, but, uh, we, we cut back to, uh, Liv taking the bath and she thinks about what she did. And then we do get some flashbacks here, I think of uh, what yeah, happened yeah. earlier in the night and God, they look so freaking in love for at least the first little bit. And yep, they sure did. Yeah. Yeah. She's sitting there at the table chatting with friends. They're at a wedding, which, you know, seemed fairly clear from their attire when they, yeah, in the beginning of this film, but, um, Scott walks up with this big dopey look on his face and, you know, they, they laugh and they talk for a little bit and he's like, Hey, let's go outside. I, I need to talk to you about something. And then we finally get what actually happened. He was going to propose and it's very, very clear that she was not down and yeah. at least not in the moment. Cause yeah. she, like they don't explicitly say it, but I think it could have been a wrong time situation. Like I'm sure that they had been together for a while and it's not really clear, but you know, it, I mean, it happens all the time. Some people have that wrong time experience where mm -hmm. it might not have been that night, but then they talk about it later and then, you know, end up getting married anyway. But yeah. because of the situation, I mean, you know, it, well, it was just all bad. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put it this way. Uh, a wedding, a friend's wedding is usually not the best place to propose to somebody, especially if this is something that you have not been talking about. And I'm kind of, at least I kind of feel like that's the story here that he was going to propose, but they've never really had the conversation about getting married because she, yeah, she makes that comment about just not being ready. Right. And now you've sprung this on her at, you know, a big event where you're around friends and family and all that. And it's just horribly awkward. And suddenly the car ride and everything else makes complete sense. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if he wasn't going to propose and they just let the night play on, I'm sure that they could have had a great time at this little oh, yeah. getaway that they had planned. It would have still been horrific based off of what we see. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> it would have um, been great at first, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so Scott goes to the table there and he's about to have some angry ice cream. He just throws that lid. He's um, it, it's all the horrible sadness is subsiding a little bit and it's more so just anger taking over because he starts getting pretty short with her from here on out. Um, you know, and then she sits down with him and she has to tell him how nice everything that he did was now in, in a situation like this, where, you know, you were just, um, your, your offer was not reciprocated there and everything, having somebody tell you how nice it all was, it just feels incredibly condescending in that moment. And, uh, just feels great. Right. Uh, I, I feel like they're almost trying to set us up to just not like these people in the sense that in some horror films, you're rooting for the killers, right? They're the heroes of the piece, so, so to speak, you know, like your, you know, your Jason's and your Michael Myers and everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're kind of cheering them on almost. And you want a reason for these people to be, you know, killed in horrible ways. Um, I don't know. They're just becoming less and less likable. The more this movie goes on to a certain, at least, at least for me, that's kind of what I'm picking up here. But, um, I think it's interesting that you, um, say that, that the movie's kind of pit, like pointing you in that direction, because from another standpoint, I would say that we don't really know, like if we should like these people or not, because right up from the jump, you know, it's like, this could happen to anybody at any time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I had a very different reaction to this this time than probably the first time that I saw it. Um, I don't know. It's weird, but, uh, you know, now we move on to, uh, well, some champagne and, um, uh, that wedding ring or uh, engagement ring. Rather, he slaps that on the table and he's like, I can't take this back. You need to keep this. And, it's just everything continues to make the situation more and more uncomfortable. And, you know, she says that she's sorry and all that. And 
is it her? Is it Liv Tyler that goes back to the record player and puts something else on at this point? I feel like it is. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but we get creepy folks on number two. Um, it just keeps going with this and yeah, no, no, it is Scott that goes back over there because she comes up behind him and they have their little, you know, you're my girl moment. And you yeah, know, the little love scene. Yeah, they start to get it on there. And then, uh, wow, that knock is so loud because I had yeah. the volume up to hear the dialogue a little bit better because, you know, for one thing, his speaking voice is very, very soft. And you, you just, you got to turn it up to be able to hear what the hell he's saying. And that knock comes in and is just shockingly loud. It's and like so, a dungeon door. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they got those big heavy wood doors on this house too. You yeah. know, this is, this and house you know, it's coming from, from a girl. So it's like, right. Oh man. Right. Right. Uh, this is this is a house out of the 60s or the 70s clearly by all the architecture and the decor and everything and those doors right. are just heavy as fuck and you know they open the door and it's darkness outside you see this girl standing there and she just says hi that's <laughs> so crazy it's creepy as shit right here yeah yeah and they're like hi and is tamara here and they also say it's four in the morning. What, yeah. Why are we getting a knock on the door? Yeah, and, and shortly before that, we had the the uh, clock chiming, and that gives us our little hint how late this is, too, if you're paying attention to that. Yeah, four in the fucking morning, and this girl's banging on the door. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And no, nope, no Tamara here. You sure? Um no, no, we're, we're all good. No Tamaras. And then they get that creepy see you later. And she just books it off the porch. Okay. Um, and then it's very clear that they had unscrewed the light bulbs because, you know, Scott turns them all back on because he had been flicking on the switch and the porch light wasn't coming on. And yep. all right. So they're like, that's creepy. And obviously killed the mood because he's back on the couch sulking at this point. And, um, we get that little, uh, you know, go get me cigarettes, bitch moment. Um, yeah. Well, it's not like that. She's, I know it's not, I'm not a a cigarette or I'm on, I'm down to my last cigarette. Right. Right. Like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I I need to go for a drive to clear my head anyways. So we just had this super creepy encounter at four in the morning with a complete stranger on the front porch, but I'm going to leave you alone in my parents' creepy ass house. Why not? Right. Um, so he does, he, he, he fucks off to go buy cigarettes and you hear shortly before he takes off, it's clear that they were about to go on a road trip after this wedding. Yeah. This is the first time that I caught this. Um, wow. It just gets worse and worse. Not only was he uh, trying to, you know, propose and everything, but they were going to be together for an extended period of time after this. So that's probably why he wanted the pickup in the morning more so than just, uh, okay, things didn't exactly work out and I want to be away from her. Um, wow. Okay. So yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I cut you off there. I'm sorry. No, um, I was going to say it just it just for me, this is when you kind of have to suspend disbelief a little bit because it's like it's four in the morning. You just had some weird lady come over and you're going to go and leave your lady. (laughs) It just doesn't seem like something a regular person would do. Or you would say, hey, come with me and you both go like. Right, right. And maybe we're supposed to believe that, you know, he is so upset about the situation that he would, you know, fuck off down the road to the corner store. Um, I don't know. It pretty long, though. I mean, I didn't see no stores down there. No, no, they're in the middle of nowhere. There's even an establishing shot before they get to the house where it's just this dark, dark lake. And you hear, you know, little sounds of nighttime insects and birds and stuff. And it is clearly the middle of nowhere because it is so dark, impossibly dark. Um, 
Okay, so he's gonna. I, I forgot about this bit. He does light a fire before he takes off. There's all these little things that happen before he leaves her alone, kind of setting the stage for all sorts of things to happen later on. Um, so yeah, he starts that fire, and um, okay, he does indeed leave. And she puts on the record player. This is where I remember. Here we get creepy folks on number three. And she tries on the ring, goes to take it off, can't quite get it off of her finger, and just decides, you know what, I'll leave it on and try it out. And then, uh, you know, she tinkers around with the piano a little bit, cracks a beer after, you know, a night at a wedding and champagne at home. And, okay, we're just going to keep this party going. All right, cool. And then knock, knock again. And it just oh, it keeps going. And it is so loud. And she she says, is Tamara home through the doorway? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yup. Yup. Um, it's like, you were already here. You already asked. Nope. No Tamara is here. And, you know, don't we get like an, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and that's where she notices uh, the smoke from the fire. Um, now, we know if you were paying attention while Scott's building the fire, he does open up the flue before, uh, you know, lighting everything up. So, yeah, it's a little weird. And she goes over there, and boy, you know, with a fire that's been burning for as long as it has at that point, I don't know if I would want to reach in barehanded to try to open that flue again, because that metal is going to be hot as fuck. But she does, and the smoke alarm's going off, and she climbs on a chair and, you know, knocks it down and whatever. Um, and this yeah. is where she lights that cigarette, right? No, not quite yet. Uh, but we get oh, yeah. more knocks again, and they're so impossibly oh, okay, yeah. loud still. Yes. And this is where she starts freaking out because they're just pounding on things. And you know, she goes and looks for her cell phone. Her cell's dead. She finds her charger, plugs it into an outlook that looks like it should have sparked and started smoking itself because it's so old. Um but yeah, she leaves it there by the fireplace to charge and goes and looks for the uh, the landline. And she decides, okay, now now's a good time to get into some street clothes, right? Um, now's the time. Yeah, exactly. Well, she wanted to leave the dress on because she felt pretty in it, right? And you know, I, I get that you feel miserable, and you know the the cool clothes from dressing up for a wedding make you feel good, right? And totally understand, but also it's like, okay, weird shit is happening. It, it's time to get into some jeans, right? Um, yeah. so she does that. She calls up Scott. Um, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll come back. It's whatever, you know. I, I'm you know thirty miles down the road now because that's where the nearest corner store is. But sure, I'll come right back. Uh, and then the line goes dead. Oh, shit. <laughs> so this is where she finds that final cancer stick there in the uh, the ashtray and yeah, lights it up. This is when shit gets weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is where we get the shot of the movie, right? It was on all the promotional stuff. It was, like, on the cover. And, yeah, she's just standing there with her cigarette. And in the background, we get man in mask walking into frame and just staring at her. You know, the, the, the really cool part, like just about how this framework is set up, you don't really see this in like movies where there's killers, where the person that you're you're worried about is in front. And then you see that person in the back. It's like <laughs> it's such a wide shot. You see the whole kitchen, the whole living room area, and then you see him in the like the really dark section of the hallway, and you're like, "Yeah, he's got Christ. the dark suit on and the super bright mask, so you get the wonderful yeah. contrast with everything, right?" And it's like you said, super wide shot and everything, so it's like if she just happened to turn around, he'd be right there. And yeah, you know, she goes and gets a glass out out of the. Um, cabinet there get some water and everything and he's still standing there through the whole thing for a long time yeah yeah and she turns around because she hears a door close from inside the house yeah and that's when he's no longer there because of course he you know walked off and 
open and close the door, right? And she calls out for Scott, thinking that he's home. And she's definitely concerned because nobody answers. And, okay, this came from inside the house. So she does the horror trope of looking for a knife and rifling through everything. She finds probably the dullest knife in the world because somebody's keeping it in a drawer and not in a block or something, right? But she finds a big-ass knife. Good for her. Um, and, okay, when do you think Man and Mask, it's, it's such a weird credit of Man in Mask because it's not Man in the Mask. It's not the man. It's just Man in Mask. It's weird. Uh, but... When do you think he actually got into the house? Do you think he was maybe there when they got home? I'd have to say, I'd say probably around the time when they got the knock, because that's plenty of time for their, for their kind of misdirection. And then he could have opened up a window or something in the back and then came in. Because my thought process is, I believe that they might have scoped this house before. So... This could have been planned, even though they didn't know who lived there, technically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember when they pulled up if there were any lights on on the house. Um, I, I wasn't really paying attention for that. But, uh, yeah, like you said, they could have been casing the joint, uh, you know, from the beginning. And, you know, again, I don't want to ruin the line for later, but, you know, ultimately, um you know, knocked on the door. I'm like, okay, this is, this is it. Um, I don't know. It's it just, it seems like it would have been kind of loud. Somebody coming into that house or maybe not. Like you said, the misdirection of, you know, everything on the front porch, this is the time to slip in. But yeah, because, clearly, I mean, you get the sense that they're, they're definitely toying with their prey from the start. Um, but the weird thing is, it's like, where, where was the wife with the truck the whole time? Like, she was just gone. <laughs> yeah. Or I guess the mother figure of the three. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a weird one. And we'll get to that in a minute, too. Um, so there's another big knock. And she walks up to the door. And there's the chair where she um, had you know, stood on it to get the smoke alarm. And she finds the smoke alarm is placed very neatly on the chair and they had made sure to show you that it was on the floor and you know, like the battery was out of it and stuff and a shot before and okay, that's creepy. Um, yeah. Uh, so now she starts hearing wind chimes and scraping metal from outside a window. The wind chimes are scary enough, but this metal scraping, I don't know what the hell it is. Um, but it's effective. It could have been anything. It's super effective. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. some scary shit. And then she kind of pokes at the, uh, window treatments there with her knife. And you think that's where the scare is going to come, but no, it's when she throws the, the, you know, the, the drapes wide there. And there he is. She screams and he slams his hand on the glass. And this is where she falls backwards through all the chairs on the table and bumps the record player. And we get the skip, uh, of like, you know, several seconds that keep repeating over and over and over again. And that's in the trailer too. Yep. Yep. And it's super creepy, super, super creepy because it's just, everything is spiraling out of control at this point. Right. Um, and the knocking and the pounding are all continuing. And then she happens to look over and that front door is opening up. Oh shit. Now, I think they had it locked because she had locked it uh, at a certain point when uh, the uh, girl comes back and asks for Tamara again because she's just, you know, finding it a little unsettling, right? And, yeah. oh, God. So somebody's either got a key or somebody snuck behind her and unlocked it because, like you said, they're definitely toying with their prey over and over throughout this film. And she gets up to that door and the girl comes back, except this time it is Dollface. She's got the yeah. mask on and she slams that door shut and locks it so damn fast. Um, and then all the pounding and everything is still continuing. She runs off to the bedroom, freaking out. She breaks the lamp, trying to get the light to turn off. And, um, 
Yeah. Definitely one of the most tense sections uh, of the entire movie, I feel like. Um, and there's there's a lot of tense moments, but you you are like almost putting yourself in her shoes when it's happening. You kind of feel like a mm-hmm. lot of pressure. <laughs> you just like got heart racing and everything. It's oh, crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Your blood's definitely up throughout all this. Um, so she's there with her knife and she's bleeding and she's freaking out. And it's dark and everything. And she hears a door open and then the record players stop and she's just expecting this is, you know, one of the people in a mask coming in, but no, it's Scott. He's home. He didn't call out and say, Hey, I'm home or anything like that. Like a normal person would do. No, he just needs to scare the shit out of her. Right. Um, and, and he does. Um, but, uh, yeah, again, that doesn't make any sense in the context of what's happening. Like you, like, you know, that some weird shit happened when you left and you want to be all weird and try to scrape well, through yeah. the door. <laughs> and the, the records skipping like crazy. And you probably happen to see that, uh, you know, there's a ton of chairs knocked over and stuff. You'd think something's up, right? No, no. I'm just going to walk completely silent down this hall towards this bedroom and freak the shit out of you. Right. Um, but you know, he, he's like, Hey, what happened to your hand? What, what's going on? Hey, what's happening? And she's, you know, telling him that there's people fucking with her and, uh, you know, they have masks and he's like, what, like a ski mask. And now, no, not like a ski mask, comma asshole. Um, but yeah, they, yeah I mean, and, why joke about that shit? Like what? Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. It's, it's weird, but, uh, yeah, it's, and this comes back quite a bit throughout this film where he just does not believe the extremity of what's happening. Right. And, but whatever, whatever. Um, he doesn't quite get it. That's for sure. Uh, so he checks the house with her and, you know, they look behind the shower curtain and all that stuff that you would do. And they walk by the fireplace and don't notice that her cell phone's in the fire. Um, you know, sparking like crazy as it burns, but whatever. Uh, you think you would notice the burning plastic smell? Nah, nah. They're they're yeah. they're they're just freaked out. That's all. Um, old phones too. I feel like they would have had a little pop or like a little kind of exploding from the battery. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. When you saw that phone, did it make you just a little nostalgic for those old phones? Just a little yeah, bit. Totally. It's like I want to be playing Snake on that thing. Yeah. Yeah. But the big uh, old Nokia. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, so they're in the garage and for whatever reason, um, Liv decides, okay, this is the time where I need to survey things. So she climbs on some boxes and looks out one of those, uh, big high garage windows and there's Dollface standing on the wall and Scott comes up beside her and he's like, Oh, what, what's she doing? She looks like a ghost. He says, and we're not there. It's like, yes, yes, she looks creepy. That's kind of the point. But yeah, people just don't stand there and stare. They have to want something. Um, yeah, yeah, they do to fuck with you. Um, but and they both, you know, turn to talk to each other, and of course, she's gone when they look back because that's how the movies like this play out. But it's it's effective. I like it. I'll allow it. Um so he brings up that oh, I left my cell phone in my car. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, who leaves their phone in their car? But this is 2008. You, you, you're not quite, you know, with the phone glued to your hand like we all are anymore at that point. Because I think the first iPhone was, what, maybe a year or two after this? It had to be around the same time, actually. Yeah, but probably not super prevalent. Smartphones were just not a thing until the iPhone really hit. Uh, you know, there were a few, you know, touchscreen things. You know, there's, uh, what, Blackberries were a thing, but it was mostly for business. Uh, it's yep. just technology and horror films is always interesting to me because, you know, a lot of people talk about, um, you know, with the advent of the cell phone, a lot of scary movies can't happen. Yeah. But uh, but that's not necessarily true, uh, as seen in this movie and many, many others since. Um, so he's like, okay, I'm going to go and get my phone. And she's like, the hell you are. Uh, but yeah. 
you know, he, he, he walks outside and this is where he finds that his windows smashed in and his car has been hot wired and is sitting there running. I don't know how they never heard this happen because yeah, I mean, especially with the glass breaking, you would have totally heard that. Yeah. That's the part right there because it's not so much that it's broken. It's somebody has smashed at this glass to have it kind of like caving inward somewhat, you know, you, you'd have to really hack away at this thing to make it look the way that it does. And windshield, like you can't just throw that one rock and hope that it's going to go through. (laughs) No, they really fucked it up. Uh, so it's just, again, shocking that they never heard this, but again, kind of have to suspend our disbelief a little bit at certain points in this film for it to actually work. And as he's, you know, looking around for his phone in the car, we get that great little moment of somebody's hand reaching up behind to brush at his neck. And I think it was Dollface that did that. Um, and this is like the first moment where you actually hear one of the uh, one of the strangers actually scampering around as they're fucking with him. Um but yeah, she scampers off a little ways and then just stands there and stares at him. And this is where he's got to, you know, try to be a big guy and be like, hey, get the fuck out of here. And just stands and stares. And then somebody runs through the woods and he turns. And when he looks back, of course, she's gone now because these guys are so good at this game. Um, I like it, though. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it's... Yeah, in some ways a little tropey of, okay, the killer can move silently and, you know, just appear and disappear on a whim. But uh, it it still works for me. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I mean, it it totally worked. Back in 2008, like, this this totally worked for me. And I was unnerved pretty much the whole time, whole sitting. Oh, yeah, and it still works, rewatching it even now. yeah, I find it very unsettling. The audio is just great in this film, you know, between the super loud knocks and, you know, moments of silence and yeah, just, it, it works. Um, so Scott comes back into the house and, you know, he, he still doesn't believe Liv that they took her phone. Um, he's like, y- you put it in your bag, he says to her. And well, that doesn't, yeah. No, but then he stops to bandage her hand with his tie. And it's shortly after this, that he finds his phone sitting on the piano with the battery removed. And it's like, Oh, do you really, this is really when you start recognizing what's happening. Yeah. Especially the fact that somebody had been in the house again while he was fucking around with the car and she was waiting for him. Um, it wasn't the rock in the windshield. It was the cell phone <laughs> with the battery missing. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, so they're like, okay, we're getting the fuck out of here. You know, get your stuff. And I think at this point he asks her to put her shoes on, but I don't think she does because that's going to come back again. Um but uh, they get in the car, and I think the tires were popped as well. But they're they're backing up, and this is the part that you brought up where Pinup Girl drives up behind them from out of nowhere from this super yep. long driveway. It's like, was she waiting for? Truck. Yeah, was she waiting for some kind of a cue for this to happen? I, because I don't think she would have been able to see them backing up from where she was at. That said. Again, super effective. Love it because, like you said, big ass noisy truck and, you know, very, very imposing with the high beams at him and everything. And you see her mask for the first time. And, you know, it's creepy as shit. And she rams into their car. And this is the moment where they also see ahead of them there's man in the mask um, staring at them. He must be pretty confident that they're not going to slip off the brake or anything and uh, run him over. But um, in any event, they uh, like get out of the car and run back into the house. And they, uh, uh, let's see what happens from here. They're looking for a gun. And yep. Got to find dad's gun. Yep, dad's gun. I was um, describing this movie to somebody, and they were like, oh, they probably didn't have a gun, did they? 
No, motherfucker, they had a gun. It's just they're dumb kids. It's... And just about anybody else is freaked out in this kind of scenario, you know? Even if you did have something, you know, are you... Are you going to be able to effectively use it? Well, clearly they're not, but, um, yeah, they find, uh, the shotgun up on a top shelf. And, uh, this is where, uh, man in mask starts hacking his way through the door, this door that seems incredibly solid. Um, yeah, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a veneer. I don't know, but he's making his way through it and they, yeah, yeah, they barricade the door. Now, did they use the piano to barricade it, or was it like some? It was something big and heavy, big piece of furniture. Holds it. Yeah, there's much screaming going on, so it's kind of hard to tell. But uh, yeah, they uh, they they barricade the door, and Scott wastes around through the opening. And oh, there was that great chair throwing moment. That what what are you gonna do? The the opening's this big, and you're throwing a chair at it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, they waste around and it's like, okay, uh, we, we need to go hide. And so they do. And all of a sudden the record player fires up and it's not them. And we get some creepy Merle Haggard playing. Uh, they shift over from folk music to country for a minute. And, and then things get a little quiet aside from the creepy music because Guess who shows up? It's Glenn or Mike or no, one of those. Uh, and he's he's trying to call Scott, but just gets the voicemail, of course, because the phone's toast. And he's like, yo, Jimmy James, I'm drunk as fuck, and I'm here to pick you up. And this is where, it's like right when he gets off the phone, somebody throws a brick or a rock or something through his windshield. And... <laughs> yeah, they do the search because they hide in the closet and they do the search for the bullets because the bullets weren't with the gun. Oh yeah, I totally missed that part. Yeah, this was um it's uh yeah. right when they go back to find the hiding spot, they they go into the yes. closet. They go into the bedroom and they see hello written in lipstick oh, right. all over the yep. window. Yeah. Oh god, I'm sad we missed that bit. Um but uh, yeah, they find the shells for the shotgun, and um, and that's when they start throwing uh, clods of dirt at that window, and they go the and they yeah yeah, and uh, they they go and they hide in a space, and they're gonna sit tight while they you know hunker down and wait for the police to come. I don't know who they're thinking is gonna call the police, but um, you know ultimately they're just gonna sit tight and wait for something to happen. And while yes, pointing we, the loaded gun at the doorway. Yes. Yeah. Cause whatever comes through that door, it ain't good. We're going to, you know, strike first and uh, hopefully everything will be fine. So yes, uh, Glenn gets the brick through the windshield and he hops out of that car with the best, what the fuck is going on reaction. Uh, yeah. I, I love it. Um, it was sunny on at this point. I know it's been on for what feels be. like forever. Yeah. Yeah. It had to be, but, uh, yeah, no, he's good. He's, he's much needed comedic relief in this film because wow, there is not much that's funny it anyway. And we need that little tiny relief of the tension. Right. And <laughs> so he decides to come into the house and, you know, we get some great shots of him surveying everything. Doesn't he come in through the window or something like that? Or a patio door, something like that. Cause it's not through the front door. Oh, that, it, yeah. He comes in through the side. Yeah. And then we get that shot of pinup or er, no, uh, doll face, uh, looking through the, the front doorway. She's standing off in the darkness and you only really see her mask because it's so dark. Um, and he's, you know, creeping through and seeing all this destruction around him. Right. And doesn't call out or nothing, but uh, starts walking down that hallway. And I think he had picked up uh, a pipe or something like that yeah. uh, because of everything that was going on. You know, at least music's still playing at this point, right? Yes. Yeah, it's still going. Um, and he starts walking down the hallway and he keeps almost looking behind him, 
but yep. not quite ever looking behind him because man in mass comes up behind him and he's got an ax or something. And yep. I love how long walk him behind him. <laughs> yes. And I love how long this plays out. It's, it's not quick. They just, they let it keep going. You feel so uncomfortable throughout all of this. And I think it's at this point where Glenn is just starting to call out when he steps into that doorway and then he takes a shotgun blast to the face. So quick. Oh yeah. And of course he's down, uh, because he took a shotgun blast to the face. Um, and Scott and liver sad. (laughs) It's like he wasn't wearing a mask. Oh crap. He wasn't yep. wearing a mask. It's Glenn. And he's like kind of violent with live here for a second, freaking out about his situation. Um, and they're pretty shaken up. Rightfully so. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. I don't know what else, what the hell else we're going to do, but I'm going to go for the radio. He says, there's a radio. Yes, there's a radio in the garage. It's I, I, apparently his dad was a ham radio operator. I don't know. It's weird. It's old. Um, people still do that stuff, I guess. I don't know. Um, yes, no. And not I would normally say lucky for them, but maybe not so much. Right. Um, so, you know, she's all, um, you know, be careful and. Thanks for that. Uh, But they do open up the curtains and there's killer written in lipstick again on the window. God, these strangers are fast, right? (laughs) Yeah. But I also. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They just they're so well coordinated. (laughs) I don't know, man. Um, But. All right. He steps outside, goes for the garage. And as he's walking up, there's, um, oh no, he runs out into the woods and he kind of hunkers down behind a tree first because, you know, of course got to be careful. Right. Um, and this is where pinup girl steps out of the garage with a big old flashlight sort of searching around and I don't know if his plan was to try to take a shot from that distance or what, but uh, she sees his movement, shines the light right on him. And this is where a man in mask races up behind him and knocks him out or something. It's, it kind of happens a bit off screen. Um, I don't know if it was the thud of him hitting him or it was the gun going off or what, but there is a loud noise. Um, And then we're just, that's it for um, for Scott there for a minute. Uh, we're back to live, and she's just waiting outside on the porch, and yeah. she's barefoot still. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this: Live, put on your fucking shoes. There's broken yeah, glass totally. everywhere. You're trying to hide from these killers. What the hell are you doing? Um, yeah, like are you even waiting outside. Like go back into the yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, As much as it sounds like we're shitting on this film at this point, it's still wonderful and it all works. And I'm all for it because, you know, sometimes the tropes are great. Um, And so she decides, okay, I'm going to make a run for it and runs through the dark and eats shit immediately. And she does. That's, That's the trope right there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, of course, you have to take that tumble, jack her yeah. leg up. Well, yeah, that's the other trope, right? You have to be injured so that it's even more attention as you're trying to get away from the killers. Um, yeah. Still, I, I, I don't completely hate it. It still works. Um, so she does a lot of crawling around from here on out, right? And there's this great moment as she's trying to make her way to the garage where Pinup Girl is behind her just slowly following her, but not doing a thing. And still nobody looks behind them in this film. I understand Um, that. Yeah. It's you're in a life or death situation with people who have been fucking with you all night long. And you know, somebody's clearly been killed at this point and you're just, you you have no awareness of your surroundings at this point. It's, um, yeah, it's a choice, right? Yep. Um, 
But yeah, she's crawling and she makes it to the garage and there are so many noises going on around this garage. It's clearly mm. there's continuing to fuck with them as they, you know, play their little cat and mouse game, but she does find the radio. Uh she decides to well, she does find a flashlight first. And I'm also thinking to myself, you're trying to hide in the dark, yet you're using a flashlight. Good job. Um, but, you know, it's it's fine. Maybe they'll mistake her for one of their own. I don't know. But she does find the radio. She tries to use it. And this is where we get the first words out of any of the strangers and what feels like forever in this film. You hear this little mournful, hello? And... That's spooky. Uh, she starts to hear back from somebody on the radio and she, you know, lets out this, you know, just super, super mournful help us. And this is where pinup girl smashes the shit out of the radio and no more radio. So Liv runs out of the garage um, and kind of stumbles some more and hides a little bit in the woods here. And, she looks back at the garage and there's a pinup girl just standing there staring out and then looks over at the swing set and there's Dolph or yeah, Dollface uh, just swinging away. I think looking at her and the man, the mask is like standing around in the woods and it's all very, very clear. They know exactly where she is and they're just letting it play out. So she, crawls a little bit more towards the house and hey guess what your volvo's on fire um I, I i love this little bit you have this little opening in this fence and you see you know the the, the car there burning and it's like oh, there is no hope yep no hope <laughs> like this you guys should have definitely went to somebody's like a neighbor like one of those houses around you because like your shit is all jacked up from this point yeah yeah, um, the Volvo is toast, and she makes it back to the house, and she, again, stumbling like crazy, she kind of collapses against the kitchen table there, and is it wrong that I'm concerned that the ice cream is melting at this point? Because <laughs> I see that big tub of ice cream there, I'm like, that's been out all this time, it's going to be all melty. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, she kind of creeps through the house and, oh, this is where the lights go out. Yeah. So let's just continue to ramp up the scares. Um, and she, I think she hides at this point in the pantry and it's of course got a livered door so she can, you know, see what's going on. And yep. we, we hear the piano. Yeah. We hear the piano. It's a repeat of the scale that she was playing. Um, earlier in the film there's a lot of fun callbacks um i appreciate this but for whatever reason he doesn't look at her this time so it's kind of a repeat of you know the big impressive shot from earlier in the film with him standing in the shadows um even though i'm still convinced he knows exactly where she's at and yeah. so she's hiding in the pantry and we hear his breathing and wow this dude does not sound good. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds like he's either very, very sick or he's been, you know, running a marathon before stepping into this house. Um, but he, he goes looking around somewhere else and comes back a couple of times, sits down at the table, gets up, walks away. And then all of a sudden Dollface at the door and she starts smash. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that little pop in from the side. That's great. Uh, she starts smashing away at the livers and for whatever reason, just stops. And oh, it's part of the game. Yeah. Just, there's just this constant fucking with them. And I, I love it. Uh, she goes yeah. back to the table she looks down at the ring box, kind of pushes it around a bit, comes back and plays with the knife a little bit before picking it up. And, you know, Liv has come out of the pantry at this point and she sees her pick up the knife. And so she rifles through and finds like a tiny little paring knife or something. And they just kind of square off against each other. 
and she goes to run another way and there's a pinup girl in the doorway and man, the mask is somewhere else. She is very clearly cornered yet is able to run off to a bedroom and she locks the door and she's slamming on the window. I don't know why she's just not throwing something either through the window or just opening it to get the hell out of there. Um, but, um, or no, before she does this, this is where Scott's thrown back into the house by man in the mask. You see him thrown through the, the, uh, sliding door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember if he's tied up or not, but he's in a bad way and he yells for her to run. So that's where she fucks off. And, uh, and all of a sudden the lights are back on and I can't remember if she opens the door or just turns around and the door is open. It's. I think she, she had to have opened it. God, I don't know because maybe I just happened to look down or something right at that moment and I missed it. But the door being open was a surprise to me uh, on this viewing. And this is where she steps through it. And yeah, she gets fucked up. Um, <laughs> yeah. It gets her face slammed into that picture. She's on the ground getting dragged through Glenn's blood. Um, yeah, I think this is on one of the posters as well. The man, man in mask dragging her by her feet. Um, yep. But, uh, and then um, she screams and then we go to black. And then everybody's waking back up and they're all dressed up and nowhere to go because they're tied up in front of the fireplace. And it's daylight now. We have, uh, you know, they're, they're opening up all the curtains and it's this horror in broad daylight. I always loved that. Um, what I really like is the, the scene, well, this part of the scene where you, you can see that, you know, they're tied up to two chairs or whatever that are facing opposite directions. And then you see the three strangers and they're just like standing in in a line together and they're just staring at him like that shot is so unnerving for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, Scott and Liv are holding hands and she's got her engagement ring on still. And, um, yeah, you know, this is, um, this is the end. Uh, and this is where the question is asked why for, I think the third time in this film, because, yeah, it's never asked directly to them until this point, but uh, we get the uh, the iconic response from Dollface, uh, because you were home. Which is terrifying. Like, that just, like, it's so iconic because of how terrifying that phrase is. It just hits you with that, like, mm -hmm. holy shit, this could have been anybody. Like, <laughs> you, yeah. you were just driving down the street, or you checked out a house before, or you came down here this neighborhood once, and then... Shit, you realize the car was in the driveway. You're like, oh, okay, this is going to be the on. one. Yep, yep. And I think this is a good point to bring up uh, the the story behind this film. Uh, I think it was the writer-director, Brian Bertino, uh, his experience from when he was a kid where somebody knocked on his door in the middle of the night or something. And it was um, like, a, like a burglary that happened somewhere in his neighborhood or something. And it was somebody ultimately just searching for a house with nobody home. Um, but his was one of the houses that was knocked on, or it was a story that he read as a kid, something like that. But uh yeah, that's that's some creepy shit right there. Um, that this is something that, you know, when they say inspired by true events, this was the inspiration for this film. Um so this is where they realize that this is it, this is the end. It's time to say our I love you's one last time because um this is not looking good. Um and this is also where the masks come off. And they're, they're not looking at the camera. So you never see them, but you see the masks like hit the floor or whatever. And this is, I think, I would say this is probably, if you didn't know it already by this point, where you can see that it's kind of like a family, like a daughter, a wife, and a husband that are just all in it together. Mm hmm Yep. Which they're is in this fucked up. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's very Manson family, uh, in a way. Um, yeah. And then it's time for stab, stab, stab. And they're 
they're taking turns at it too. Uh And yeah. And, um, they do cut away from showing, um, Liv Tyler getting stabbed and, you know, a lot of, you know, the end of this, they cut away to shots of, um, just trees and stuff outside as you hear what's happening. Um, and then we cut back to Glenn's phone going off in his pocket and all of a sudden we see Liv's chest start rising and falling. She's still alive. She hears the phone and starts crawling towards it. And clearly she's, you know, not in a good way. Uh, she does get to the phone, but just misses the call. Yep. And then we get the man in mask stepping up behind her, still has his mask in his hand. And we think, oh God, this is it. This is it. She's toast. And she's all crazy defensive. And all he does is bend down and pick up the phone and take it with him and books on out of there and just (laughs) leaves her. So crazy, bro. Yes. It's terrifying, right? The fact that so much of everything that they do feels absolutely random. It does. It It just makes it a lot scarier for sure. Um, and I so, think that again, with the whole, you know, finding a random house, like, I think that if they did have a plan, the plan was just to pick a place, but they didn't have any kind of like major plan. They didn't know how many people were going to be in there. Like they didn't know who, like how many people they were going to kill or what, what they were going to do. And then you start seeing the writing on the windows and then like mm-hmm. the knocking on the door. And it's like, you, you get the feeling that this isn't the first time. No, no. Well, especially for um, uh, Man in Mask and Pinup Girl, um, because we get that line in a little bit here. But uh, we cut back to the road, uh, and we've got the you know the little Mormon kids on their bikes, and uh, you know they 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 pull off the road when they see the kids, and Dollface gets out, and we do see her face a little bit here in the wide shot, so it's not super up close. But uh, she steps up to the kid and asks for one of his pamphlets. And he asks her, are you a sinner? And she's, yes. (laughs) Love it. I love it so much. And they get back in the truck and you hear pinup girl say to her, it'll be easier next time. This is just going to keep going on and on, and you know, in a sequel that is far less well received, uh, to the point where um, the they're in that truck, so you just see the three of their heads like perfectly Mm -hmm. aligned. It's awesome. Well, and I also love that Dollface sits in the middle like the kid. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's it's kind of perfect. So now we're back to where we started with the kids stepping into the house. I presume they've already. Well, not necessarily. I I think it's probably later that they make the call because they're looking at all the bodies and all the gore and everything. And the one kid uh, steps up to Liv Tyler, hunkers down and reaches out for her. And this is where she springs to life for one last scare, screaming bloody murder. And then we get credits. What a movie. Fucking hell, man. It's great. Oh, God. It's yeah, I, just I, talking about it is is such a great feeling, and I, I for anybody who hasn't seen this movie, I highly recommend it. Even though we might have sounded like there's a bunch of negatives, I think that it's it's definitely a time and place. Like you know, 2008 oh, was a long time ago, so yeah, yeah, it and, holds up though for sure. Absolutely, and you know, I like the Rotten Tomato scores on this one. It's like about half of the people of the critics that reviewed this actually liked it. And yeah, I think a lot of that is, you know, non horror fans reviewing horror films, which is something we often talk about in the horror community. It's uh they, they like to shit on movies like this because they're just not their thing. Um, the but, user score is, is high. Oh yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. 
because I think a lot of people that would even bother to watch this are going to, you know, enjoy this type of film quite a bit more. It's, uh, you know, not going to be randos like my folks watching this film, uh, for (laughs) sure. If they do, you know, massive props to checking out some horror. I know it's not your bag, but you know, uh, yeah, it's God, that's the strangers. And I think it's, um, a little underappreciated, but uh, totally. I think it's a, totally. it's a hell of a film. And I'm anxious to see what else Bertino does. You know, we mentioned uh, The Dark and the Wicked uh, earlier. Holy crap. I do have to say The Dark and the Wicked is a better film. Yeah, um, yeah he's grown for sure by that point. Uh, he also yeah. did that one little indie film, uh, The Monster. Oh, yeah. That That's, was 824, wasn't it? I, yeah, that was an early film of theirs for sure. Yeah, um, or, uh, the monster is awesome. Yeah, I enjoy the hell out of that. It's uh, again one of those very very contained films because it all uh, you know like this one where it all takes place in this house. Uh, that film all takes place in a car and a dark road, and uh, yeah, works. That's his bag though. Like even in the dark yeah. and the wicked, it's just a farmhouse. Like <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a small community in all of these films. Yeah, there's very little that takes place elsewhere in that film. Um, yeah, I, I don't know of anything else that he's currently working on, but again, anxious to see anything else that he would happen to do. Um, I always get him mixed up with the guy that did The Night House um, because I know that director is doing that remake of Hellraiser. Um, it's which supposed is, to be this year. Like soon, yeah. Um, definitely, definitely looking forward to that. Um, yeah, Dim, any final thoughts on The Strangers? Um, I mean, I'm glad that we were able to kind of run through the storyline. I really highly suggest anybody who's just getting into horror or who's never seen this film that it's totally worth a watch. The sequel, not so much, but it the sequel does... It is fun to an extent, but it's definitely not. It doesn't have the same staying power as this one does. And um, I really just love this film. And, you know, it's a five out of five for me. Um, this is why I wanted to pick it and come on the show. Um, it's it's such a small cast. It's such a, a terrifying real scenario that anybody can be in. And I think that's what makes it scary is it's, you know, it's not, it's not something unnatural like a ghost or a zombie or something like it's literal people who are invading your house. This shit happens all the time. It happened up the street <laughs> a couple days ago. <laughs> like, Fuck, so man. yeah, this stuff's yeah. crazy, man. And you know, that does make it extra terrifying for sure. Uh, the, sure. There's a couple of little moments throughout this thing where you really have to suspend disbelief. Like, no, this yeah. would not happen, but you know, as long as you're willing to roll with it. Um, yeah, this film works. Um, again, dim, uh, if you'd like, where can people find you? I'm at gifted dim 63 gifted spell with a Y on everything. Nice. Oh, except Twitter. Actually, I think I have to, I had to take the 63 off, but it's gifted dim. Excellent. Excellent. Well, this has been Murders with Mertens, a horror film podcast. Thank you for letting us tickle your ear holes. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe and all that. I'll be back soon enough with another episode. But until next time, stay spoopy, everyone.